at the end of this month, we are going on a family uh, vacation. We've been planning it for a while. We're going to Washington, D.C. And it's uh, been a while since either Hope or I have been there. Our kids haven't been there, and we want them to see some of the historical things, uh, teach them about the, the founding of our country and some of the, the values that we believe uh, that we should, we should have. We're really looking forward to it. We had a plan at, you know, several months ago to, to get rooms, and uh, we signed up to hopefully get the uh, tour of the, uh, the White House, which you have to um, apply for well in advance, like three months. So three months before, uh, went through our congressman and applied for the, uh, the White House tour, and you have to send in your Social Security number afterwards and all kind of background information on everyone that's going so they can do security checks and all these things because you're going to where the, where the president lives. And we found out last week that we got the email, finally, that said, you know, congratulations, you have uh, uh, reservations to, to go into the White House and to see the White House tour. And we're really excited about that. And I was telling the kids about this and, uh, you know, what a big deal it is and, you know, some of the security and all these things. And there's a lot of things you can't bring into the White House. And as we're talking, uh, my uh, 11-year-old son, Luke, uh, who has uh, quite a uh, uh, sense of humor, I uh, was kind of joking around and, uh, and kind of a mischievous sense of humor too at times <laughs> and talking about this and what to go in and what we can't bring in the security. And he, and he said this joking around. And I said, oh, Luke, 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 Luke. <laughs> okay, I, I know you're kidding around here and I know we're just at home, but I, I have to impress on you very strongly when we get to Washington, D.C., and when, especially when we get to the White House, that is not the type of joke that you can make. Do not be talking about that or anything even close to that. And he's kind of still laughing a little bit. And I'm like, okay, wait, no, seriously, I need you to understand the gravity of this. You are not in trouble now. I need you to just understand this. Because if you go into the White House and you start making you know, a joke like this, it's not going to be, you know, warning. You know, uh, I said to him, do you, do you know what a Secret Service agent is? <laughs> no, not really. Well, let me explain it to you. Of these suits and these earpieces, and they have guns and no sense of humor. Uh, <laughs> so I was talking to him about, you know, snipers on the roof and, and all these type of things. You know, there are some things you just don't joke around about. Okay, there's some things you don't mess around with. Especially if you're going into the house where the, the president lives and the security and just everything about that. That's a secure place and they have a lot of reason for that. You, you don't mess around with that. And the closer you get to, uh, say in this case, the president, the more careful you have to be. And I think that's a great lead into this passage that we're going to look at in Leviticus 10 with uh, what happens here with Nadab and Abihu. Okay, they're sons of Aaron. Okay, if you're uh, looking for baby names, Nadab and Abihu, probably not ones you're going to want on the list once you see kind of what happens. So uh, let's get started here. We'll read the first three verses, kind of the main thing that happens. And after the, the first three verses is kind of the aftermath. But I'm going to give you just kind of as a summary here the... Uh, I think what's kind of the main lesson, really, of the whole, not just the past, this part, but really the whole message, that God is holy and cannot be approached any way that we want. 
God is holy and cannot be approached any way that we want. Let me read Leviticus 10, starting with verse 1. Now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, Aaron the high priest, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Wow. That is probably one of the the heaviest uh, paragraphs in the Bible. So let's think about this and what is going on. Nadab and Abihu, uh, last week we saw them, along with Aaron, the high priest, being consecrated as high priests. Well, Aaron was a high priest and they were uh, priests along with him. And so they could, they could go into the, uh, the, the, the tabernacle complex. They could make these sacrifices as prescribed by the Lord. And it was a very um, holy thing. It took seven days to complete their, their ordination. And uh, we saw their first sacrifice at the end of the last chapter and uh, what a, just a glorious thing it was. Uh, but here it says that Nadab and Abihu, uh, they took their censers and put fire in it now, okay, if you're not familiar, what is a censer? Um, a censer is used for censorship, uh, right? No, <laughs> that's not what a censer is for. It's spelled different. Uh, it's not for censorship. Uh, it's for, think of incense. A censer is for burning incense. And so you would put, uh, the word is actually often translated as fire pan or tray a lot of times in the Old Testament. Um, you know, looking into this, I realize sometimes we think of uh, you know, a sensor that you might have seen where it's somebody holding it with uh, chains down and there's like a bowl where you have the, uh, the burning incense in the bottom and it kind of has uh, kind of a grate on top where the smoke can come out. Uh, that's a more, they didn't have it that way as far as I understand uh, during biblical times. It was more of just kind of a, a tray or something that they would use and they would burn the coals or burn the incense on it. Uh, to have uh, the, the smoke go up, and it was used as, as part of worship. And back in Exodus 30, it talked about the, the altar of incense, um, and Aaron, the high priest, was to burn incense on it twice a day, and this would have been in the, in the holy place, so in the actual tent part of the tabernacle complex. Uh, not the holy of holies where the ark was, but uh, the first part in that tent. Uh, so you had the you had that there. And uh, he was to do it morning and evening. And in Exodus 30, verse 9, it does specifically say, it tells him not to offer unauthorized incense on it. So it lays down very specifically what they are supposed to do. So now, what did Nadab and Abihu, what did they do wrong exactly? And this is actually something that uh, Bible scholars and even the uh, uh, Jewish rabbis have kind of debated for a long time and had theories as far as what, what was the exact thing that they did that was wrong that resulted in this type of judgment, you know, fire coming out and consuming them. 
And actually, Jewish rabbis propose at least 12 different theories. So there's quite a few different uh, educated guesses, you know, going on context and different things. Uh, one suggests, you know, maybe they went too far into the sanctuary, into the, the tent, further than they were authorized to go. It could be that they used coals from outside the temple area, ones that were uh, profane instead of uh, sanctified. Another theory is that they offered incense that contained uh, the wrong ingredients, uh, different things than they should have. Or maybe they offered it uh, during a wrong uh, time of day. I think a more modern theory is maybe they were using essential oils. And that was just the... No, no. I'm sorry, to you essential oil people, I know that joke was insensitive. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But the main point, whatever, I think it'd be hard to come down and actually pin down, okay, what was the nature of it? But we do know what God has said in, in his word. That, and maybe it doesn't matter as much what the specific thing is as uh, more the, the general principle of what they did wrong. And that's why in God's inspired word, it, tells, it states it the way that it does. Uh, but basically, at its, at its core, it was that Nadab and Abihu were judged for offering a, a strange or unauthorized fire which the Lord had not commanded. I kind of like some of the uh, translations that call it strange fire. And really has this idea of it being, it's, it's unauthorized. It's not what was supposed to be. They were doing something that was different than what ought to have been. And it specifically says, uh, at the end of verse 1, which he, God, had not commanded them. They were doing something different from the command that they had. You know, I think there's some benefits to, well, there are many benefits to reading the Bible. Um, But for those of you that have uh, never, or maybe it's been a while, read through the entire Bible. I want to keep challenging you to do that. I think it's, it's worth doing. And it's one thing to have little summaries here and there, but there are certain things that I think hit us in a certain way when you're reading through Scripture and the whole thing and that you really can't get the same way in a, when it's just a summary. And I remember one time I was, when I was uh, reading through the Old Testament and I, I remember having this thought. I remember I was at a camp in summer, a church camp sitting on a bench and reading in um, either Exodus or Leviticus. And if you remember back in Exodus, it goes on for chapter after chapter about how they are supposed to build the tabernacle. I mean, it goes on in detail about everything from, here's how the curtains are supposed to look, and use these type of rings, and these type of... And it talks about building the ark, and how that's the ark of the covenant, and how that's supposed to look. And all these different details, uh, it, it takes a long time to describe all these things. But because of that, we can know basically what, what it looked like for the most part. Uh, we don't have any pictures, but they're real good descriptions. So you think, okay, it's, uh, you know, if you were a carpenter building this, it'd be great to know all the measurements and all these different things. Um, and it's helpful for us because now we can picture it and we know what it looked like. But then what struck me is in Exodus, once it gets done, going through all these details, then it says that the craftsmen that God gave skill to to build this, it it says, and now they built the curtains, and they built them, and it goes on detail, 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 and it repeats all these details. 
and they built the Ark of the Covenant. Detail, 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 detail. I'm thinking they're all, these details were already in, uh, in Exodus already. And I kind of thought to myself, you know, if, if I was uh, writing the book of Exodus, you know, I could have uh, saved several chapters here and just had one verse that said, and they built it exactly like they were supposed to. And we make things a lot simpler. But then it, it got me thinking, well, that's if I was doing it, but I'm not the one that inspires Scripture. And it wasn't just these, it wasn't just Moses either, that God is ultimately the one that decided that this is going to be written down in detail, not just how they should do it, but that they did it and showing that it matched up. And you think, you know, especially back in the day, you know, to have some kind of writing, you know, uh, you know, parchment or papyrus or the different writing things that they had, you know, that was costly. It wasn't like, you know, us. Uh, And, you know, they couldn't just cut and paste this. You know, some scribe, you know, would, as they're making copies, would have to write all this down and it would take a long time. So God had to have a reason for this, for this repetition. And we've seen in, in Leviticus too, then it gives all these detailed instructions about you know, the, the, the priesthood and the sacrifices. And I think what is being communicated by this is the importance there was in following the directions, in following it carefully and doing it exactly like God had said, the way that God had revealed. And I think that's the, the point of, uh, of that repetition. And, and last week we saw that they're given these instructions for these sacrifices and Aaron and his sons, the, the first time out, they, they do the sacrifices and they follow the instructions the way it is. And it's this awesome, glorious thing. And fire comes out from the Lord. This time it consumes the sacrifices and people are worshiping. They're bowing down. They're hitting the floor in worship as they're just floored, literally, by God's holiness. I mean, probably the most amazing just worship experience uh, with the true God accepting the sacrifice. And then we see here the next time in Scripture, the very next time, at least recorded in Scripture, Nadab and Abihu decide, well, that went great. Hey, let's try worship freestyle this time and let's see how it goes. So after all this communicating how important it is, they think they can just, well, let's, let's do it the way that we want to do it. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. And we see the judgment that came upon them. It says, fire came out from the Lord. You say, wow, that's awesome. No, this, this was not awesome fire. Okay, this was, it can, it consu- and consumed them. You know, there's, you know, some modern praise songs that keep talking about, Lord, send your fire on us, send your fire. I think, do you realize what you're asking for? <laughs> I don't think that's necessarily what you're wanting here. Uh, it's because oftentimes fire is, uh, is, is judgment coming from, from the Lord. And really, that's even what it was last week. It was, it was consuming the sacrifice, but it was still judgment upon the sacrifice and accepting that just as a substitute. So this says the fire, let me just can read this again. And Verse 2, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them. And in case you're wondering what happened, like, well, maybe they pulled through. No, and they died. B- before the Lord. 
And this is before the Lord. This is saying this, this was not just an accident. This was the Lord's judgment upon them for thinking they could just do worship freestyle any way we want. Let's approach God in a way that we make up. Let's be creative here and let's, let's do it our way. So what have we learned so far? We've learned that smoking can be hazardous to your health. We've learned that you don't go in, if it's true that you don't go into the White House joking around, you don't go into the presence of God any way that you want. You can't go into the Lord's presence carelessly or in a way that's different than the way that he said, this, this is how you will approach me. Verse 3, Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before the people, I will be glorified. Was this an overreaction by God? There's some people that would think so. This was an over. Well, they, first time offense, I can't believe you, God would do this. But you know, the fact that we would think that this is an overreaction by God actually says a lot about us and what we think about God's holiness. And it means more often than not, we don't think a lot about God's holiness. We don't think too much about it. It's, for most, it's not something that's very important. It's not something that we value. Maybe sometimes people like singing about it or, God, give me an experience. But it's different to, to recognize God as holy and set apart. A God that is unapproachable by, by those that are defiled and, and sinful. And second, I think we need to recognize that God had the, a special purpose of doing this. That this was, this was right at the beginning of the worship that they were going to have all the way up until Christ came and was the ultimate sacrifice that made these obsolete. And so if right at the beginning here, if Nadab and Abihu could do this and change things up, do things their way, and God just kind of let it slide, well, that would kind of send a message that, well, it's okay. You know, I'm not that holy. It's okay. Do whatever you want. And so part of the reason for the judgment was both God's holiness and he needed to have the Hebrews learn this message. I am holy. You will not approach me except for the way that I am telling you. God has graciously allowed them a way. God doesn't owe any of us a way to him because we are sinners. The fact that he had made any way at all was an amazing sign of his grace. But now just don't think that you can just come however you want. And he needed to make this clear. He needed to let them know how big a deal worship is and how important his holiness is. And it says, Aaron held his peace. Imagine what he had to be feeling. But he held his peace. He knew he wasn't going to argue with God's justice. The judge of the universe will do what is, what is right. The rest of this chapter continues this and it um, gives some of the aftermath. And there's a lot for us to learn here as well too. We'll summarize this and say, God is holy and cannot be approached carelessly. I don't have a lot of sub-points on the screen, so just if there's important things that, you, that are helpful to you, just... Uh, if you note-takers, just go ahead and write them down. Let's read a little bit, uh, 4 through 7. So now you have uh, 
Nadab and Abihu, they're um, consumed by fire and laying in the, somewhere in the, uh, in the sanctuary. And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near and carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, his other two sons, Do not let the hair of your head hang loose, and do not tear your clothes, lest you die. And wrath come upon all the congregation, but let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled. And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did, according to the word of Moses. So you have these uh, dead bodies in the tabernacle. The priests were forbidden to go near the dead. Um, Corpses would bring defilement on them, and while they were unclean like that, they couldn't be in the... uh, in the tabernacle. Um, For the high priest, it was an absolute rule. For other priests, they were allowed to bury close relatives um, and then had to be cleansed. However, God here, he has Aaron's um, uh, cousins here uh, remove the the corpses and, and take them out. It also says that Aaron and his sons are forbidden to mourn. So for them, this was not a time for you know, poor Nadab, poor Abihu. I want to emphasize they had, they had received justice. It was severe justice, but it, it, was, it was justice. And to quote one commentator, it says, Had they joined in the traditional customs of tearing their clothes, that's part of how they mourned in those days, they might have been tempted in their grief to blame God for their brother's death. Going on, 8 through 11. And the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Drink no wine or strong drink. You or your sons with you when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. You see the phrase, lest you die, a few times here. And I think the Lord had their attention now. You know, lest you die. Okay, this, yeah, let's, we'll pay attention. Uh, It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. All right, look at that paragraph and let's, uh, we'll pull out a few things. First, it tells them uh, specifically no drinking. For the rest of the Hebrews, uh, there wasn't a, a, a complete ban on drinking. Drunkenness is, is always sinful. But he's, they're told here, um, the priests here, uh, especially when they're on duty here, we're not supposed to be uh, drinking. And there are different theories. Why is the Lord telling them this now? And one theory is that, um, well, it was... Supposedly, sometimes customary for mourners uh, to drink to cheer themselves up, but God is saying, don't, don't be doing that. You can't be doing that right now. Um, another possibility is that maybe, um, maybe alcohol contributed to Nadab and Abihu's poor decision-making here. 
that could be the case. Uh, if you haven't noticed, uh, in the, the world, uh, drinking often does lead to poor decisions. It often does. But you know, whether Nadab and Abihu were drinking when this happened, or whether God was just giving them warning so that don't be doing that because you don't want your judgment to be impaired, I think the main point is, you guys, you priests, your job here requires clear thinking. Okay, your job requires completely clear thinking. And there, there are some jobs especially that, that do. You know, if you are on the bomb squad, okay, uh, yeah, you don't want to be uh, drinking before you go to, you know, start defusing some bombs. You want to have clarity. And if that's true, that's also true for the, the priests. Think of what they are handling. You know, something that is, um, you know, the holy God, more powerful than, than any anything the bomb squad has to, uh, has to worry about. And I think it is a good reminder, too, that yes, uh, drinking does often lead to bad decision-making. That is just a reality. I ran across this one time. I'll read you this. As far as I know, this is a uh, true account. In 1995, Polish farmer Krzysztof Arzynski, age 30, it says, had been drinking with friends. Now, you know a story. You, you kind of know where it's going when that's how it starts. You know, had been drinking. Let's see, let's see where this goes. Uh, when it says, when it was suggested that they, we'll, we'll just say, take their shirts off and play some men's games. Initially, they hit each other over the head with frozen turnips. That's, I, I, you know, if we're looking for some men's uh, retreat ideas, you know, just. <laughs> but then it... <laughs> It gets worse after that. Uh, so hitting each other over the head with frozen turnips, but then one man, and I think they must have been uh, into the vodka quite a bit here, uh, then uh, one man upped the ante by seizing a chainsaw, because drinking and chainsaws always go together really well, seizing a chainsaw and cutting off the end of his foot. Not to be outdone, Arzinski grabbed the chainsaw, shouting, watch this then and swung at his own head, chopping it off. Now, am I saying that if you drink, you will chop off your head with a chainsaw? Absolutely. That's <laughs> 100% every time. <laughs> but seriously, though, uh, drunkenness is sin, and beware, drinking does often lead to some very, very bad decisions. Uh, don't drink and drive. Don't drink and do heart surgery. Don't drink and disarm bombs. And um, we want to be clear-headed. The priests especially, they needed to be clear-headed. So we don't know specifically why it was commanding them about uh, drinking here, but the priests needed to be clear-headed in their duties. Um, their, part of their job was to make distinctions. To make distinctions between what is, what is clean, what is unclean, what is holy, and what is, what is common. And that's what it says in verse 10. You are to distinguish for them and for the people what is holy and what is common between what is unclean and what is clean. Now let me tell you this. This will be kind of helpful as we keep going through Leviticus because there's going to be a lot where it talks about what is holy, common, what is clean, unclean. And actually, um, clean and unclean and and, uh, holy and common are not exactly the same thing. Okay? Okay? Because you could actually have something 
uh, that could be clean, but not necessarily holy. Okay, let me explain. A holy means set apart, okay, kept special. Okay, God is set apart, he is kept special. And think of it, there might be certain clothes that you have, your Sunday clothes, that you keep special, okay? And you kind of keep it nice, and maybe you decide to wear it to, to uh, you know, to church, or you wear it to weddings, things like that, okay? You have your good clothes, your holy clothes. And then you have your, your common, your regular clothes that you wear to work. It's, it's not bad clothes, there's nothing wrong with them. It's just one is for ordinary use, and the other is for kind of the special use. So that's kind of the difference between holy and, and common, so common doesn't mean necessarily that it's, it's sinful. But then there's the difference also between clean and unclean. Okay, so you could have your, your work clothes and you could have them clean. And in the morning you're going to work and they're clean and then you come home from work and they're unclean because you've been working. And that's just how it goes. So there's a, a difference between that. And we'll see too, it was a much bigger deal for something that was um, holy to become unclean than for something that was common to become unclean. I mean, it's a bigger deal to you. It's not as big a deal, you know, to get your work clothes dirty, because you, you kind of expect that, but you don't want to get your, you know, your, your, your wedding clothes all dirty. So part of uh, the duty here, they had to distinguish, okay, what is clean, what is unclean, what is holy, and what is common? You know, they needed to draw distinctions. Not everything was, was, was the same. In verse 11, it says, You are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes, that means rules, that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. What is God commanded? What pleases God? What does not please God? Today's Father's Day. Let me give you dads especially a uh, Father's Day application. An important part of fatherhood is teaching your kids to distinguish between what they should fear and what they should not fear. What is it that they should have, um, that what is teaching them between right and wrong, what they should fear, what they should not fear, all these distinguishing things. We think about what to fear and what not to fear, helping them to have a, a, a healthy type of fear. And there really is a healthy type of fear. For many of us, we're teaching our kids about firearms. You want them to fear firearms in the right way, I mean, having a healthy respect. Because although they are something good that can be used for many good purposes, hunting, self-defense, they can also cause a lot of harm when used wrong or used carelessly. And that's what God is trying to teach us here as well. You know, that God is, a, he, he is good, but he is, he is dangerous. And we need to fear him in a way that means treating him with the right kind of respect, the right kind of reverence. Not in a careless way, or that ends very poorly. So dads, teach your kids to fear the Lord. To, to have the right type of fear of him. And teach your kids not to fear people. There's so much pressure to, to fit in with those that are around. And whether it's a, the school or the peers or the playground or uh, just in the world in general. And it keeps on going through college and adulthood. We care about what other people think. What do they think? We're always pressured by this. We need to learn to fear the right things, not the wrong things. I think it also means teaching your kids to discern what is good and what is evil. 
know, the priests were told to do this, and well, you know, fathers, you're not a priest in the Old Testament sense, but in some ways you're kind of like a priest for your family. And it's part of your calling to teach them, yeah, what is good and what is evil, according to what God says. Not according to the world or Facebook or public opinion polls, which a lot of times are the exact opposite of what is true. We live in a world that calls good evil and calls evil good. You teach them what God says. And we oftentimes fail to realize our uncleanness. We're trying to distinguish between what is clean and unclean. And other times we think, well, at least I'm clean. I'm a good person. I, I, I don't need to be cleaned up. You know, last night, um, my, uh, <coughs> my youngest son, uh, Joel, uh, my wife said to him, Joel, you got to go, you got to take a shower. And he shot back, I don't need a shower. And Hope looked at him, and he had been playing outside all day. Like, you know, eight-year-old kids are supposed to do in the summer. His, his knees are caked with dirt. Like, really, you don't think you need a shower. You need a shower. But how many times are, are we like that? You know, I'm fine. I'm clean. I don't, I, don't, I don't need a Savior. I'm good the way I am. Well, guess what? The truth is we are all defiled by sin. We all need cleansing. The type of cleansing that... Uh, the, only, the only detergent that can wash away these stains is the blood of Christ. He who died on the cross in our place. That's what we need. Well, finishing this up, starting with verse 12. Moses spoke to Aaron and Eleazar and Ithamar, the, his surviving sons, take the grain offering that is left in the, of the food offering and eat it unleavened besides the altar, for it is most holy. And you shall eat it in a holy place, because it is your due and your son's due from the Lord's food offering, for so I am commanded. And we saw this uh, two weeks ago when we saw the certain offerings. Uh, some were burnt up completely, but some, uh, they were supposed, the priests were supposed to um, eat part of it. Says fourteen, but the breast that is waved and the thigh that is that is contributed, you shall eat in a clean place. You and your sons and your daughters with you, for they are given as your due and your sons' due from the sacrifices of the peace offerings of the people of Israel. The thigh that is contributed and the breast that is waved, they shall bring with the food offering of the fat piece to wave for a wave offering. Uh, before the Lord, and it shall be yours and your sons with, your, with you as a do forever as the Lord has commanded. So basically here, Moses is telling to Aaron and them, okay, there's sacrifices here that are kind of left unfinished because of what happened. You need to finish this up, and there's parts that, because of what kind of sacrifice it was, that you guys need to, you need to eat this. It's part of what's required, and go ahead and, and do this. Um, yeah, the, the priest's job, part of it was to eat some of, the, some of the extras that had been offered. And yeah, that, make, that gets me thinking. Um, you know, the priests got some of the leftover sacrifice that wasn't there. Um, we have leftover beef, beef jerky. Um, you know, I think the, uh, probably the New Testament principle here is uh, probably that should be the uh, pastor's uh, offering, I think. And... Uh, <coughs> Nick, in your theological judgments, that sound about right. <laughs> All right. 
But then we see what happens in the next paragraph is that um, actually the stuff that was supposed to be eaten was burned up like a burnt offering instead of having part of it eaten like instructed for the sin offering. Let's read that quickly and then see what happens. Now Moses diligently inquired about the goat of the sin offering and behold, it was burned up. And he was angry with Eliezer and Ithmar, the surviving sons of Aaron, saying, Why have you not eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary? Since it is a thing most holy and has been given to you that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord. Behold, its blood was not brought into the inner part of the the sanctuary, like a burnt offering would have been. Uh, So you certainly ought to have eaten it in the sanctuary as I commanded. And Aaron said to Moses, Behold, today they had offered their sin offering, his, his sons that died, and their burnt offering before the Lord. Yet such a thing as these have happened to me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? And when Moses heard that, he approved. So technically, Moses um, or Aaron didn't do it the way it was supposed to, but he wasn't really trying to be careless or disobedient. It sounds like his attitude really was as if he was saying, I, I really didn't think it was appropriate for me to do this today. That's how, how he read it. That's how he thought. They thought just because of what has happened today, it just wasn't appropriate for me to, to eat this. And so if he was erring here, it, it wasn't because he was trying to be careless or being disobedient. In fact, he was probably erring on the side of caution, really with a respect for God's holiness. And it says that because of that, Moses actually said, okay, that's, that's where your heart is on this then it says Moses approved. Gordon Wenham, in his commentary, writes this. He says, This suggests, perhaps, that God is more gracious to those who make mistakes because they fear him than those who carelessly and impudently enter his presence, as Nadab and Abihu did. Let me give you three applications to finish this up. You know, we're not under the old covenant today. You know, none of us here are old... uh, covenant priests. Um, So how do we apply this? We've had a few applications already. But I think if if the main point of this whole message is God is holy, you can't enter his presence any way that we want, I think there's at least three things we can take from that. One, that God cannot be approached through man-made religions. We kept seeing over and over that it was saying that the Lord revealed this to Moses. Okay, the Lord told Moses, this is how it's supposed to work. That is a God-revealed religion. This is God saying, this is how you come to me. Anything else is man-made. Anything else is, is people saying, I got an idea, this is how we'll get to God. We'll go up this way, we'll make our own way. And whether it's a little bit off the path or way off the path, if it's off the path, it's off the path. And this is saying that there are not all these different ways to God. Okay? There are people today that will say that. There are many paths to God. But I will tell you this, that no Hebrew living at the time when uh, Nadab and Abihu were consumed would have walked away from that experience thinking to themselves, hmm, I think this means there are many ways to God. 
It's up for each of us to choose or create our own path as we think best. That is not what this is teaching. Exactly the opposite. Second, God cannot be approached through, let's say, strange worship of the true God. And I mean strange in the sense of unauthorized. So even if you're worshiping the true God, okay, worship is not meant to be creative. Let me explain what I'm saying. Uh, there's, there's, there's okay creative, there's good creative, and then there's bad creative, okay? You know, if, uh, if Adam writes us some, some praise songs with some great lyrics, that's okay, that's good. That's a good kind of creative because God has said that we, we can come before and sing songs together. We're, we're, we're called to do that, sing spiritual songs. But if there's creative in just the way of making things up, that's not what we're supposed to do. One example would be idols. In the Old Testament and through time, people have thought, well, we'll make an idol. It's of the true God, like, an, uh, like a golden calf. And it'll represent the true God of the Bible. And God said, no, that's the second commandment. You don't worship even the true God through these false means that he hasn't specified. Man-made rituals. Another example, through the Middle Ages, all kinds of these man-made rituals developed. And today in so many churches, you see these these strange, weird, very experience-driven types of worship. In some of these churches, they're they're very much on uh, just stoking the experience and the emotions. I mean, there are churches that will, you may think this is a joke, but they will pump Glitter through the air conditioning system. Okay, and then with the, the, the laser lights and everything, they're shining it on it, and look, it's the glory of the Lord. Because they're pumping glitter through the, uh, through the air conditioning. I watched a video of one church that had, they called the fire tunnel. And these people line up on one side and the other to make a fire tunnel, like putting hands on them, and these people are walking through it and supposedly, you know, getting the Holy Spirit, and they're jerking and running like crazy, and everyone's, you know, uh, just carrying on and falling over and making noise. And it's like, that's not anything that's in the Bible. You're making up stuff. There's all kinds of examples of that. But let me give you one final one. And maybe you're thinking, okay, I'm, I'm not into man-made religions, and I'm not into that type of stuff. But here's one that is, um, I think everyone, at first at least, deals with. You cannot, God cannot be approached through salvation by works. If you try to get to heaven, if you try to get to God through your human effort, I'm going to be a better person now. I'm going to strive to be holy. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. Even if you're saying, God, help me to do this. Come into my heart and help me be a better person. And you're thinking to yourself, that's what I'm going to offer up to God. That's how I'm going to get in. I offer to God my good works. I've been, I've been dedicated to you. I, Lord, I give this to you. You are offering up strange fire before the Lord. That is not what can save you. That is not what will save you. And there will be judgment. The just judgment that all of us as sinners deserve. Instead, I implore you, draw close through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he shed his blood on the cross 
so that you could be saved, so that you could be forgiven, made holy, made clean, not by human work, but by what he did for you. Let's pray. Lord God, we confess that you are holy. You are God that is holy, 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 and we are not. We thank you for what this passage teaches us about what a serious thing your holiness is. And Lord, we thank you that there is a way. The Old Testament sacrifices and these things were just pointing forward to the one that would make the actual way, the one that would live a perfect life, die on the cross, be raised again for our justification. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is interceding for believers. We thank you for Jesus and that through him we can draw close, boldly before the throne. Let us claim nothing else but the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.